How about we go to Revelation chapter number two, if you would, Revelation and chapter number two. I'm going to work a little bit on our theme here uh, tonight, love God's way. And, uh, but you know, we're not going to love God's way if we don't love God the way that we should. We just can't do it. I, I was really, to be honest with you, I was minded to go into 1 Corinthians 13 and do some work there on the theme. And, and of course, a chapter that we're, uh, if you've been in church any length of time, probably familiar with in regards to charity suffereth long and is kind and all those things that uh, charity is that we naturally are not. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's what love is, but that's not, we are, not what we are naturally. And so um, here this year, we've been uh, thinking about, working on, love God's way. But if, if, we, if we don't do what that phrase in the song, I still love you with all of my heart. If we don't do that, then we won't love God's way. We just won't. And so let's look at it in Revelation in uh, chapter number two. Uh, now we might, let's start in verse 19 of chapter one. I'm sorry, that'll just help us get a little bit of a run at it here. Revelation's a wonderful book and study. And uh, really verse number 19 just organizes the whole book itself. Uh, when he says, well, this is Jesus speaking and he says, um, well, how about we start in verse 18? It'll just bless your heart. By the time we get done, we're gonna be in verse number one, right? So <laughs> I am he that liveth, and was dead. Aren't you thankful that that's past tense? Was dead. He is alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things, he instructs John, write the things which thou hast seen, the, the glory of Christ that John was privy to and able to see, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and that would organize the letters to the churches, and the things which shall be hereafter, chapter four through the rest of the book. So that is a key verse. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, he explains the seven stars are the angels or the messengers, the angels of the seven churches. It'd be the pastors of the, those churches, those seven churches of Asia. And the seven candlesticks, which thou saw, sawest, are the seven churches. Everybody following along so far? It's always a blessing when Revelation explains itself. It doesn't always do that, so you got to enjoy it when, it can, when you can. All right? So he explains what these are. Now, verse 1. Unto the angel, now who, who's the angel? The pastor. Yeah, who's the, yeah, the pastor. Uh, so it's directed to the pastor of the church. Is it directed to the rest of the church? Well, we'll see that it is, but he says it to the pastor. All right, God already spoke to this pastor about what we were looking at. <laughs> yeah. So unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Who, watch this, walketh, look where, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He's right in the midst of his churches. <laughs> he knows what's going on. Look at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, endurance, I know thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. 
and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So obviously they have a real love for the truth. They're devoted to the truth. Isn't that good? They're devoted to it. And hast borne, and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. You've not stopped. You've not given up. Thou hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And then he says this, verse 5, remember, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. Now, what's the candlestick represent? The church itself, right? So it's, it's influence, it's impact, it's light, candlestick, it's glowing. You know, the influence that we're to have, light in darkness. Remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But notice he goes back to the positive in verse number six. He says, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, Jesus wouldn't fit in this pluralistic, inclusivist society that just wants us to go along with everything that's out there. He says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I don't like what they do. That's a strong word, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, verse 7 brings us all into it. He that hath an ear, let him hear. You got an ear tonight? You got it? Is, is it on? All right. You got an ear to hear, then let him hear what the Spirit saith unto who? The churches. So does he say that to this church? He does. All right, the churches. You know, that'll just blow the universal church idea plumb out of the water. Because if it was, let him hear what he says to the church, he would have just said church, and that would include all the people. But he doesn't. I mean, he specifically says churches. So with Jesus, church is always local and visible. It can't be otherwise. It just won't work otherwise. And so he says, say this to the churches. Uh, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 3, we almost made it to verse 1, but verse 3, he says, blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. Now, does that stand today? It does. So you hear it. it. You're blessed. It'll be a help to you. It'll be a blessing to you if you hear it. If you say, you know, I've already heard 100 messages on my first love. Uh, you probably need to hear 101. Yeah. <laughs> and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. All right. So we're looking at uh, the, church, the letter to the church of Ephesus. And I'm um, giving it this title, Don't Give Your First Love Second Place. Don't Give Your First Love Second Place. May God help us here tonight. You may be seated. Let's get to working on this and give it ample consideration. Now, I trust it's evident to, to you, and if not, that it would become very clear that what Jesus said 
to his churches in Revelations 2 and 3, he says today to us. What he said is what he says. Now, we've, we've got to do it justice because these were seven literal churches that were in Asia Minor. And so he's writing directly to them about some of the, the good things that he sees in them. And he's also writing to them about things that he would warn them of. And he's writing to help correct some of the things that needed to be corrected. By the way, I'm glad the Lord cares enough about his churches to deal that directly with us. I'm grateful for that. We couldn't make it really without that. But what has been preserved for us in his word demonstrates that this section of scripture is most certainly and definitely relevant, relevant to us today. Okay, Even though it was written to the church you know, in uh, the first century in uh, Asia Minor in a place called Ephesus, it is still today just as pertinent and relevant to us to this very day. Now, we've got to begin with that premise. And, and so really, it's no different than what Paul wrote to the book of, to the Corinthians, what he wrote to Galatians, what he wrote to Ephesians, and so forth. It's the same, it's the same idea. So that was, that was a, a letter written specifically to a church in a specific location, dealing with specific issues that has been preserved for us as local churches today, uh, that we would have something to go by. You know, uh, what, what do lawyers study? Well, lawyers study past cases so that they would know how to deal with cases today. What do a lot of coaches do? Well, they look at tape. They look at um, even read after uh, John, uh, different uh, writers and coaches and such so that they know how to coach today. You get the idea there? So we're studying a letter that was written to a church uh, recorded a message from Jesus to the church in Ephesus because of the struggles that they were having. Well, I dare say that some of the struggles that they had then are some of the struggles that we have now today. And just to zero right in on it, um, even with guests here tonight, uh, it's a struggle that all of us have as Southwest Baptist Church. Certainly is. They lived... Uh, here in Ephesus in an ungodly culture. They had to combat false doctrine. How about this? They had members who made bad decisions. Imagine that. Does that sound anything familiar? Well, we're all members of this church and we've made bad decisions. So we're a lot like them. And so we're listening here to the words of Jesus, taking him at his word that what churches dealt with then is what churches deal with today. In fact, you'll, you'll find churches exemplifying all seven of these churches today. You, you'll see examples of that. Uh, for example, you'll see churches that are faithfully serving him. You'll see churches that have grown spiritually cold. You'll see churches that are facing persecution. Today, there are churches facing persecution. There are churches that are compromising today. There were churches then that were suffering. There are churches now that are suffering. There were churches then, like Philadelphia, that were expanding and planting churches and caring about the work of the gospel. And there are churches today that are expanding and involved in world missions and caring about the work of the gospel. So what we saw back then is actually still going on today. All right, let me, let me take it one more level down here as we're kind of getting the table set and getting ready to deal with where we are and, and to be a help to us. You'll find members within every church that exemplify a lot of these same things. 
You'll find members right here at Southwest Baptist Church that are faithful, that are working diligently. You'll find members of Southwest Baptist Church who have grown spiritually cold. You'll find uh, members of Southwest Baptist Church that are facing difficulty, difficulty directly related to their stand for Christ. You'll find members of Southwest Baptist Church that are acting a lot more like the culture that's around us than they are like Christ. You'll find members that are struggling with immorality. You'll find members that are involved in world missions. Uh, you'll see and hear about the Crusaders class who took up a special offering to be a blessing to the Hainlines. I mean, that's going on today. I mean, that just happened. So these things are going on. What we see here in Revelation 2 and 3, I mean, it's, it's just, it's for our admonition, admonition and our learning. It's for our help. That when we look in the Word of God, we're looking at it like it is a mirror. So this church in Ephesus, I mean, it's a major metropolitan area, uh, and it would be like, uh, you, you think about it, as far as that region, that port city, it'd be like L.A. is to California, or L.A. is to the West Coast, okay? That'd be like uh, it is in Ephesus. Or if you go to the other coast, it'd be like New York City is to us. So, I mean, it was that big of a city. It was that, in their minds, it would have been a, a major metropolitan area. Here's what happened. The word was preached and lives were changed. I mean, drastically changed. In fact, so much so that the silversmiths, if you read Acts chapter number 19, they were concerned about their prophets because people were being saved and they were forsaken idolatry and they thought they were going to lose their idol making industry. And so they were ready and did run Paul out of town and ready to pull him to pieces. I mean, it was, it was on. They were burning books. I'm talking about people that had, uh, you know, books that had to do with the occult and witchcraft and demonic beings. The people then recognized, hey, this isn't something to play around with, which, by the way, it's not anything to play around with today either. These books on the occult and, and so forth. Uh, their impure lives were being made pure. They truly were this, a called out assembly living in their day and time. And so, in fact, based on just how wicked Ephesus was as a society, we can't make the excuse, well, we can't live for God in this day and time because we live in wicked times. Well, so did they. Uh, so did they. Listen to this. The church in Ephesus had a rich history of pastors and spiritual leaders. Listen to this lineup of pastors. Paul. Well, we could stop right there. Timothy. Apollos had time there. Priscilla and Aquila, the dynamic duo, you know, I mean, just a godly couple that had time. John himself, they're in Ephesus. And so they had a heritage of godly leaders. They had a history. Okay, so when Paul planted the church, it's probably about, I read anywhere from 32 years uh, after that, that now this is being recorded up to 40-something years. So, I mean, you know, the decades have passed, three decades, maybe even four decades have passed. Maybe the, some of the same people are still there, but if they were, then they were young people, and now they're older people. Well, that was obvious, Right? But maybe a lot of those had passed on. And so I think, here's, I think this is a key right here. In many ways, a lot of them that were members now of the church of Ephesus were second generation Christians. They didn't smell the books burning. 
They didn't hear the, the, the chants, great is the goddess Diana, great is the goddess Diana. They didn't hear that. They didn't see Paul run out of town. They maybe didn't even know who Paul was. Oh, they probably knew who Paul was, but they never heard him preach personally. And, and you know, then the likes of Apollos and others. I mean, they had a rich heritage, but it wasn't like they experienced it firsthand. It wasn't like they had experienced it firsthand. And yet, and yet, uh, they remain faithful. Now, I do, I do want to say this here. Uh, just because you have a spiritual heritage of godly leaders does not guarantee that you'll have a godly future. Every one of us know of cities that one time had a soul-winning Biblically sound doctrine, I mean, a sound doctrine, just biblically straight church that was knocking doors, running buses, and reaching souls. I'm, I'm thinking about towns like Toronto, London, Detroit, Cincinnati, Springfield, Dallas, and on and on we could go. But just because they have a spiritual heritage does not mean that that's ongoing today. Now, this is 30 to 40 years later that the church has been planted in Ephesus. And thankfully, there are many things to commend about this church in Ephesus. Okay, what are those things that Jesus pointed out? Well, let's look at it again in verse number two. Everybody following along with this so far? It's very important. I think if you'll, if you'll get this, it'll be a great big help to you. And uh, it also be a big help to Southwest Baptist Church. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. Hey, listen, this was a hardworking church. This is a busy church, which by the way, Jesus did not rebuke them for being busy. He commended them for being busy. Now I realize we can get too busy. Somebody said that an acronym for busy is B-U-S-Y, burden under Satan joke. We can get too busy. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus here is commending them. Hey, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're, you're working hard. There's a lot of activity going on. By the way, I'd much rather be a part of a church that's trying to do something for the work of the gospel than one that is not doing a thing, just kind of dying on the vine. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd much rather be involved in a church that's, that's trying to fulfill the great commission. He doesn't say what they were laboring. In fact, the word labor is a strong word. It means they were, they were working to the point of exhaustion, toiling. They had a busy schedule. What do you think they were busy doing? Well, I, I, would, I would surmise and think that we're on safe ground to say that they were busy evangelizing, discipling believers, caring for new members, caring for widows, caring for widowers, um, having meaningful services, showing up for sound check, um, showing up for choir practice, running buses. Wait a minute, that's modern times. But I think you get the idea. They had a busy schedule. Southwest Baptist Church is a busy church. Unapologetically. I'm glad we're a busy church. I'm thankful for that. Running buses, knocking doors, following up on guests, having choir practice, sound checks, nursery schedule, security schedule, people working security. I imagine they probably had to have people working security too, you know, with the Romans inside. I mean, just all kinds of stuff going on, don't you know? I mean, hey, I'm just simply saying they were a busy church and the Lord commended them. Here's another thing. They were 
Uh, they were a patient church. He says, I know your patience. I know your endurance. I, I know that things have been tough. The word patience uh, comes from the Greek word that literally means to bear up under, to abide under. They were under duress, but they kept going. They were under difficulty, but they kept going. We might say it this way. They, they had fortitude. They had steadfastness. There's a good word. Jesus commended them because they were steadfast. They kept doing what they were supposed to do, be doing. They were persevering. How were they persevering? We're, look back at the text, if you would, again. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. You see that? He's saying this, listen, uh, you, haven't, you haven't had, uh, oh, well, whatever attitude. A church is in danger when you get a, you know, who cares kind of attitude. I mean, it, this is the 2000s. Man, I mean, this is, you know, this is the year 2022. I mean, it just, it is what it is. You know, they didn't get that. It is what it is kind of attitude when it came to sin. They said, no, no, we're not going to put up with this. We're going to deal with this. Okay. He's commending them. Now, you kind of, you're looking at me like, okay, where's the setup? <laughs> like, okay, I mean, he's about to drop the hammer on him. And he is, but let's enjoy while he's commending them. Amen. He said, listen, you've worked hard. You're working hard. And, and listen, you're being patient. You're enduring. You're keeping going. You're persevering. You're steadfast. You're, you're, you're a good church in that sense. You're doing what you ought to be doing. You've tried them, which say they are apostles and are not. You found them liars. You care about the truth. You're not just, you're not just accepting everybody because they come on TBN and saying that they're an apostle. No, you shut them down. You don't let them have the pulpit. You don't let them get away with that. You don't, you don't let them go with false doctrine. You're identifying false doctrine for what it is. And you're not tolerating that in the church. Listen, they were doctrinally pure and they were busy about it. It's good. It's very good. Thou hast borne, verse number three, and hast patience. And for my name's sake, for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Jesus commended them. You have kept going. And then he talks about the, uh, about the Nicolaitans. And the, the Nicolaitans, I mean, there's there's discussion about you know, what this group did. Uh, Nicolaitans, you can, you can hear the word laity in it, meaning people. You can hear, hear the word Nike in it. Does that sound familiar? Nike, Nico, it's the word victory. So the idea is, is that we have victory over the people. Evidently, there was a group that thought that they were better than the people. They set themselves up almost like popes, a papacy, ruling over people and, and such. And Jesus says, I hate that. You know, you shouldn't have a Lord, lording over others kind of mentality. Hey, we're all saved by the same grace of God, see. And so he says, I stand with you against the likes of the Nicolaitans. Here's what we're seeing. If we just kind of summarize it here, they were very busy. They were serving. They were separated. They were steadfast. I mean, you can even get a literated outline out of this that here they were. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They were serving the Lord. They were separated from the culture that was around them. And, and they were also separated even ecclesiastically from those that had false doctrine. And so they were, they were walking with the Lord that way. They were steadfast in doing so. I'm telling you, there's a lot to be commended here. They were serving well, but the Lord identified a problem. And I know that you're already familiar with that in verse number four, but look at it again. It says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You know, it's possible tonight to be serving, to be separated, to be steadfast 
and yet not be doing it for the right reasons? They had left their first love. They left their first love. I want to ask you tonight, have you left your first love? Because I, I think about Southwest Baptist Church, and we're a serving church, we're a separated church, and we're a steadfast church, but I wonder if we're doing it for the right reasons. Warren Wiersbe said, what we do is important to the Lord, but why we do it is also important to the Lord. He also said this, I found this helpful. He said, they were so busy maintaining their separation that they were neglecting their adoration. Can I run that by you one more time? They were so busy maintaining their separation that they were neglecting their adoration. They were, he said this also, he said, labor is no substitute for love. Labor is no substitute for love. Neither is purity substitute for passion. Another quote here in uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary said this, Christ wants believers' hearts as well as their hands and their heads. He had their hands, he had their heads, but he wanted to have their heart. Now, I want to be clear here tonight. Uh, it's not saying here that they were not loving the Lord. They loved the Lord. Here was the problem. He wasn't their first love. They still love the Lord, but somehow their first love had taken second place. How many of you would agree tonight? I believe there's a danger for all of us right there that our first love could become our second place. Could somehow take second place to what? Well, a number of things. Um, first love, first love. When somebody's your first love, they are foremost in your thoughts, right? You're thinking about them all the time. When they're your first love, they are foremost in your plans and you're consumed with them. And, um, and so they, they had left their first love. You know, every now and then it hits me. I can be busy serving the Lord. Okay, you know, remember, this letter is first of all addressed to a pastor. So the Lord deals with me with this and, and don't you wish sometimes that it was one and done? But how many of you have found that in the Christian life, it's not one and done, it's often. And, and there's times I'll be going about even, you know, my service, even as a pastor and it'll hit me. Oh, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? It's for the Lord. Amen. And ironically, we can leave Christ out of Christianity. And, and, but then I'm so grateful to God that he gives us those opportunities and those times where he just reminds us of our first love. Um, you know, I remember when I got saved. You remember when you got saved and uh, how fresh it all was and you just wanted to tell everybody. You know, I got saved and I called my aunts and I called and told my family. And man, I was so excited. I was witnessing, you know, to people in the fourth grade or whatever, third or fourth grade right in there. And, and I was so excited about the Lord. And, and then even when I surrendered to preach and just the, the thought about being called to preach and serving the Lord and spending time with the Lord. And it wasn't about a bunch of busy work. It was just about the Lord. There's a danger. 
that it can become about a bunch of busy work. Even in serving the Lord, we can start serving the ministry rather than serving the Lord and leave our first love. Maybe this will help. Um, have you been in love? Okay, you don't want to give a testimony about it. <laughs> um, I remember when Angie and I, uh, I thought she was going to be in the nursery, but I got to tell the truth now, she's here in the auditorium. Uh, I mean to tell you, when we, uh, um, <laughs> got interested in one another, I just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to be around her. You know, I mean, I really, I, I just, I was glad to get to be with her all the time. And, and, uh, we, you know, we sat beside each other, you know, and, and eventually in church, sat beside each other, sat across from each other on the bus in the youth group. Guys on one side, girls on the other, but there was just the aisle between us. <laughs> Set beside each other in camp, you know, and serving together in the, in the nursing home ministry. And, and uh, we uh, um, had a lady, uh, Miss Gentry, that she, uh, she didn't get to come to our graduation high school. So we went to her and Captain Gown in the nursing home. <laughs> you talk about getting some looks there. <laughs> but those are some precious memories. Talking to her in class. <laughs> Maybe at times I wasn't supposed to, but talking in class, talking after class, talking after school. Um, going to Bible college together, sitting with her at lunch, sitting with her at dinner, sitting with her oftentimes at breakfast, walking with her as far as I could. There was a line where there was a great gulf fixed where a guy at the Bible college couldn't go beyond that line. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Ted? Just couldn't go beyond that line, but we'd go as far as we could and then say bye for a whole night. <laughs> Call each other when we got in the door, right? <laughs> Set them on that, that uh, concrete uh, bench outside of uh, Miss uh, Gaynell's, uh, the, or sorry, no, uh, the Dean of Women's um, house there. As, as she was on the bottom of uh, her apartment, was at the bottom of Donaldson and Woodworth, and, or that, that uh, whatever one it was. Sorry, talking about Angie's got me all befuddled here. So, <laughs> eating ice cream after, after lunch and just talking, just having time together. and and um, walking her to the library, studying with her in the library, not getting much done, walking her from the library, trying to impress her by one icy day, kind of sliding on the ice, and I slipped down and slid under this chain that was there and went into a bush, and so just <laughs> really made quite an impression right there. Walking her to the mail room, checking our mail, and and uh, then as our wedding was coming up, reading all the Psalms, you know, day by day, one Psalm a day, all the way up to Psalm 150. And then on our wedding day, her dad uh, reading Psalm 150, and we walked out to the Hallelujah Chorus. Setting up home together, building a home together, raising children together, serving the local church together. I'm telling you, she's my first love after the Lord, of course. You understand that. She understands that, don't you? <laughs> But you know, sadly, over time, you can begin to take one another for granted. 
Watch this. A lot of the same activities. Still busy. In fact, even busier. You know, with the responsibilities and things going on. Still busy. Still separated. I'm still separated uh, from all others, forsaking all others. Enjoying myself only unto her. I'm living a separated married life. Does that make sense? It doesn't sound like it goes together, but it really is. It really does. I'm separated from all others, join myself only unto her. I'm busy, I'm serving, I, I'm separated. I, I still have the same beliefs about uh, marriage. I still believe there's one man, one woman. <laughs> I still believe there's a distinction between the two. I still believe in marriage. I still believe all those things. Hey, hey, I'm just simply saying, it's very feasible in human relationships to be busy doing a lot of the same things, to be separated still unto one another, and to be believing the same things, and yet not really be engaged in love. How does this happen? Well, you get familiar with one another. You can begin to take one another for granted. You know what I think happens in churches sometimes is that we can get bored with Jesus. Not because he's uninteresting. In fact, it's just because we don't really understand just how great and magnificent that he really is. And we get bored with him, bored with Jesus. I'm afraid, oh, listen, hang on. There's something deep on my heart or heavy on my heart, even right here, because a lot of the, I hadn't thought about the fact that a lot of this, this letter was written to second generation Christians, but there's a lot of second generations and even third generation and fourth and fourth generation, even fifth generation Christians right here in this auditorium. And, and you, didn't, you didn't hear Paul preach, so to speak, and you didn't burn the books and you didn't, you, 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 don't, you don't know what your, you, you, didn't, you had no recollection of when your grandparents were living in infidelity and all the those things. No, your life has been just totally sheltered in a lot of ways. Oh, there's a great danger here that, that you don't have. You're going about the same work and same energy and same business and same doctrine and same all those things, but, but you're trying to do the same level of service, but not with the same level of love. How does this happen? We can get familiar with one another. We can take one another for granted. We can be doing all the right things, but not really from the heart. And there can be a lack of communication. I know when Angie and I, you know, are, are having, uh, you know, struggles and issues, a lot of times just we haven't had time for one another, making time for one another. Are we the only ones in the house here tonight that... No, I think it's true for all of us that we can have those struggles along the way and a lack of communication. It could even be this. It could be disappointment and hurt. You say, well, how does that relate with us and God? Well, obviously he does absolutely nothing wrong, but sometimes we think that he can. And sometimes we can get disappointed with God. And the song that you all sang a moment ago really registered. You know, I forget the first words to it. And I dare not try to re, you know, remember, but uh, just the first words of it, just about how that sometimes things don't go the way that we think they should or we thought that they would. And, and, and so then you can kind of get disillusioned with God. And he used to be your first love, but now you're wondering if he really loves me, and he really cares about me, then why is all this going on? I don't get it. And actually, we could even get involved in service and be devoted to even right doctrine for reasons other than the Lord. Sometimes it can be obligation. It's because I have to, not because I want to. And I'm thankful for obligations. I'm thankful for responsibility. I'm thankful because there's sometimes that, uh, well, if I'm just totally honest, that even as a preacher, I don't want to be here on a Wednesday night. <laughs> well, that's terrible. I think that you should be. <laughs> Brother Raz sent me a, 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 just a little bit of humor. And he said, it's a little button that said this, pastoring is easy. It's like riding a bike. 
You just never forget. The pastoring is easy. It's like riding a bike, except the bike is on fire and everything around you is on fire. Otherwise, it's just easy. No, I mean, come on, we're all made of the same stuff. You know, you have a long day. We all have a long day. You think, man, it sure would be easy to stay at home tonight. But thank God for that obligation. You know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. And I, I praise God for you that you're here tonight and, and that you made the effort. I know some of you hadn't had dinner yet and some of you just barely got here because you had a rough day. You had a busy day. And, and, but you're here in church. And I'm not here to, to scold you in any ways. In fact, I'm just here to encourage you. Thank God that you're here and you love the Lord enough. And maybe you're doing a little bit out of obligation along the way. I get it. Listen, we all struggle with that. But listen, here's what we need to do. We need to take this letter and take it to our hearts and see, God, help me not to lose my first love. Help me not to leave it behind. Every now and then I may forget about you and and not really do it for the right reasons, but oh God, don't let me do that long. Help me to love you and to love you deeply because I can't keep on the same level of service if I don't have the same level of love. We can do it for the praise of man. I, I, we've all got to be careful about that, whether you're singing a song or preaching a message or teaching a lesson or knocking a door or running a route or teaching a class. We can all do it just to get that attaboy or that, man, that was a good thing. I sure appreciate that. And thank God for all that encouragement. We can't do it for that. We've got to do it because we love the Lord and love his people and love his work, but mainly loving him. And heaven forbid that you should do it just to, just to get by or just to kind of check off a box or to get a grade or to get a paycheck. Can't be that. And it can't be this either to please the people around you. I'll tell you another reason I think that we leave for our first love is that we get interested in something or someone else. And God takes second place. You could lose, leave your, your first love even to your job. Jesus said that Iniquity would abound and the love of many would wax cold. Could be tonight that you've left your first love because you love sin too much. Here's what he said to do. If, if this is you, and how, how many of you tonight could identify with what he said to his churches here, his church in Ephesus? Can you identify with this? Have there been times when you've left your first love? Are you at that place right now? Then here's what you ought to do. Remember. Remember, I tell you what, it did me really, it did me good to write all those things down about Angie and I's first years together. There's something special about it. I mean, there's something special about what's going on right now, too. I hasten to say. <laughs> but there's something special about that first love. And it means early. When I looked up even the word first, it means early, but it also means this, of utmost importance. Of the utmost importance. And I want to remind you tonight that that the Lord Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance of, in your life. And he ought to be your first love, more than your job, more than even your family, more than your, your hobbies, more even than church ministry. He ought to be your first love. He ought to be your first love. Remember. And then he says, repent. Get it right. Think right about this. And then notice what he says here. He says, do the first works. You know what that means? That means, listen, it's not necessarily even saying that you're going to do something different. It's you're going to just do it for the right reason. You're probably going to keep singing. You're going to keep teaching. You're going to keep preaching. But it's going to be for a whole higher, superior reason, namely him. 
It doesn't mean that you even have to take time off from what you're doing. Now, if that helps you to take some time away and really get along with the Lord. In fact, I'm going to advise you tonight or encourage you here tonight. If you've kind of grown cold in your love for the Lord, if you've kind of grown cold, if, it's, if you feel kind of distanced from God, then, then maybe even this, uh, this weekend, if you get a little extra time, then, then just get along with him somewhere and spend some extra time with him. Because the church that loses its love is in danger of losing its light. He says, remember, repent, and do the first works or I'll come and remove the candlestick. Um, I want to remind you at Southwest Baptist Church, those of you that have grown up right here, I'm looking around, I'm seeing second and third generations that are right here. History does not determine your heart. It doesn't. History doesn't determine your heart. And listen to this. A long history doesn't compensate for a lack of love. You say, well, we're Southwest Baptist Church. Well, they were the first Baptist church of Ephesus. Started by Paul. Doesn't matter what their history was. The Lord needed to deal with them right there. Lest they wouldn't have a future. Don't give your first love second place. I mentioned the mailroom. Angie and I, um, you know, we'd go check our mail, sometimes between classes. And if you're a Bible college student, you're looking for notes of encouragement, cookies, or money. And it was just something to do, and we'd go and do that. But I'll never forget one mailroom scene that involved a man named W.E. Dow. W.E. Dow was the pastor of the church, really as to why, why Baptist Bible College was in Springfield. you know. So anyways, by the time I came to BBC, he was... Um, in his 80s at least, if not early 90s. I, I forget what year he passed away and how old he was. But nonetheless, he was no longer driving. He was in the passenger seat and his dear wife was driving and Miss Dow pulled up to the little parking space there at the mailroom and she got out and was walking in to go check their mail. They still had a mailbox on campus. You know, they lived in Springfield, still had a mailbox on campus. And he's here in the passenger seat and he reaches over and he honks the horn while she's walking by and then he's flirting with her. <laughs> I thought, oh man, that's it right there. 80 some years old and still flirting with his wife. I love it. Here's what it is. He hadn't left his first love. She still, he still loved her. And I, I forget exactly what she did, but it was almost like she said, stop that. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. Oh, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you are eight years old, 18 years old, or 80 years old, I pray that we'd have the heart for the Lord that says, I still love you, Lord, because you love me first. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> The Lord made it clear to this church 
that service without devotion, service without adoration was not sufficient for him. He was glad for their service. He was glad for their doctrine. He was glad for their steadfastness, even under pressure. But he wanted them to love him and to do it for the right reasons. Pray we'd all take the admonition tonight. Father, help us. I thank you for the timing of this in my own personal life. Lord, um, I'm sure others needed it, but I know I sure did, and I thank you. I pray you'd help us to uh, be careful about just being busy and all the other things that can come with that. Help us, Lord, to have a sincere love for you that's not show, but that's genuine. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing page 483. Brother Aaron is going to lead us. If God spoke to your heart, please come on this verse. Let's just spend some time with the Lord here tonight. Brother Aaron, go right ahead.